0: Investigators, a witness to the murder of Jody Lacorno is speaking out for the first time. Well, you know, um, that night that that happened, or that morning,
1: um, there was no other witnesses there uh, at that shopping center the night that that crime took place, except us, me and my partner. We were scared to death that this dude was going to see us because we were the only visible people around
0: when that took place. Jody was a college student shot and killed while sitting in her car on a snowy night in Baltimore, less than a mile from her house. Four minutes, according to the Google.
2: I mean, I, I'm I'm like crumbling a lot inside and have a smile on my face, but I, you know, it's it's hard.
0: That's Jenny Carreri. She has made it her mission in life to catch her sister's killer.
2: Yeah, I'm never get I'm never giving up hope. I just keep trying to get her story out there. I mean, I just keep going after people like, please, please share stories.
0: The case is a head-scratcher with shocking details, including evidence that was never tested and witnesses that were not interviewed by police. Before we dive into the case, I want to remind you that the content is for mature audiences and still might not be for everyone. And at the end of the episode, a special shout out to listeners who wrote reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really helps independent podcasts like this one get noticed. So please subscribe, hit five star and write a review. Now, the murder of Jody Lacorno and the witness who saw it happen. Investigators, you're on Deadline. From the Hollywood Hills to your earholes. This is True
1: Crime Deadline. A podcast discussing cold cases, murder mysteries and completely Random Thoughts. Now, here's your host, a man who stands in front of crime scene tape and talks on the TV box for a living, Mr. Mystery himself,
0: Matt Johnson. Investigators, thank you for joining me for Season 4, Episode 44, The Witness to the Murder of Jody Lacorno. It's a case that takes us back to Baltimore, Maryland, in a colonial city on the east coast of New England. Part of the original 13 birthplace to the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, home to crab shacks, the USS Constellation Museum, major sports teams and universities. And it's where a delivery truck driver and his partner witnessed a frightening murder of a young girl in a parking lot.
1: They pulled her out of her car. The cop let me stand right there when they pulled her out and laid her on that parking lot.
0: That witness asked me not to share his name. So for the purpose of this story, we're going to call him Bill. And the story that Bill has to tell could break the case wide open. Even though he is older, he says that he remembers the murder like it happened yesterday.
1: So I've got a good mind. I'm 70, but trust me, Matt, uh, I'm still driving a traction trailer full-time 3,000 miles a week. And uh, I'm sharp enough to know. I know they say a lot of witnesses, you know, they don't really... They say things that they don't see, but these
0: things, I've seen all that. I'll never forget it. In this episode, you're going to hear what Bill has to say about the murder, what he saw, who he saw, how the killer acted, and his theory as to why. But first, background on the case. In 1996, Jody Lacorno was 23 years old, living with her much older boyfriend and attending university as a student. She's the daughter of John and Linda Lacorno. Her dad, retired military, an assistant state's attorney. She had three sisters, including her identical twin, Jenny.
2: She was like an animal lover and she loved, you know, she was young. So the things that she loved in her 20s, she loved shopping and Christmas. I mean, she just loved all, you know, being with her friends. And just such a sweet, I mean, kind, would do anything for anybody.
0: Jenny and Jody were inseparable. They did everything together. And they also shared the same demons, both struggling with an alcohol addiction throughout their teen years and early 20s, which landed them in separate rehabs. In 1996, Jody had started drinking again. She was living with her boyfriend, who was also a heavy drinker, but he only liked her to drink at home with him. So on March 2, 1996, the two got into a huge fight. Jody had gone out to the local bar, Mount Washington Tavern, without him, and he kicked her out of the house the next morning. So she went to work, and after, she had nowhere to go. So she went back to the bar. It was snowing that night. She closed the bar down and agreed to take a bar employee home. She gave him a ride. And afterwards, instead of going home, she drove to a parking lot, And had a few more beers alone. As she sat there in her white Honda Civic, a man walked up. Her window was down. Witnesses say that they talked for a bit. Then he walked back to his white BMW. He pulled out a gun and he shot her in the back through the rear passenger window. What happened next is both shocking and simply evil. There's no other way to put it. But tell me about you and your twin sister.
2: You you always have your best friend around. I mean, we were we were identical. So my mother, you know, when, when since we were born, dressed us alike, and we were always together nonstop. We always had the same room, same friends, same classes, all the way up through high school.
0: You know what? It must be really hard um, being an identical twin and not to have a piece of you still, still here and on the planet with you.
2: It's very hard. It's, you know, I, I was numb for so long. I, I I just, I went into shock and I just, I mean, you just can't, when I, when I heard the words, Jody's dead, you just, and I had tried to call her that Saturday morning. She died on my parents' wedding anniversary. She was shot on their anniversary and, they called my fiance because they didn't want to tell me and he came in and told me and I just for for years, I mean, I was just numb, shock. Tell me about uh, what was going on the day before the murder. Okay, so Jody had gone to work that day and then went to the tavern that night. And that's what upset her boyfriend, Steve, because She called him. They had a pay phone at the tavern and she called him from there and he did not like her to go to the bar and he wanted her to, he, he liked to be home and drink and she liked to go be at this bar and drink. So that's what started the fight. And so when he found out she was at the bar, she came home that night. And then the next morning is when they had the fight and he told her not to come home. He said, Go, you know, maybe go to your parents' house for the weekend. They were about forty-five minutes away, so it was just very odd. The whole—I mean, I don't know about the—the the, you know, she went to work that day, but for her, she had lots of people that loved her. She would have had a place to go. She wouldn't have gone that night to go sit in a dark parking lot and and talk to a stranger. She wouldn't have. She drove the janitor home from the bar. I mean, she would have done anything for for anybody, but. Even in the middle of the night, I, I just—it's I, hard for me to see her driving somebody that like that home, that I, I by herself, and and it was snowing for her to drive in the snow. She—I mean, she wouldn't have done that either. So everything was really out of character for her that night. What do we know that happened that night? She stayed at the bar till almost closed and and was asked by one of the workers there to to drive the janitor home. And she drove him home and then went to a liquor store and bought a six pack of beer and went and sat. This is all within about five miles of her house and then went and sat in a dark parking lot right next to her. I mean, literally like a minute from her house and sat there. And and there were six witnesses that night. So she's sitting in this parking lot. It's called the Cow Door. It was an old department store. So what witnesses say is that an, an African-American male approached her vehicle and her window was rolled down, which it was cold and snowy. So they, the detectives have said they think maybe she knew this person. But I apologize. Prior to that, she had made a couple of phone calls sitting in the lot and she had called back to the bar and talked, I believe it was to two different people there. One was to the the manager and what I found out actually just in the last couple of years is that he had later on committed suicide. I, I don't I mean it was just odd that I I had never known that. Yeah, that he had committed suicide. And then she talked to, I believe it was one of the bartenders, but there's three different theories that they are three different thoughts that I've heard is that she was looking for a party. She was looking for the owner. There was rumors that she kind of had a crush on the owner um and others that she was looking for drugs so she wasn't there was no drugs in her system her alcohol level was high um but she, you know there was no drugs so i i don't rule out anything i don't rule that you know i i i, I within my heart don't believe she was doing drugs at the time because i think we would have known what happens after she's shot there was people crazy i mean out and about and so She drove across and he followed her, he shot her from behind. So this, the bullet went through the back of the car into the seat and into her spine. So she was, she got into the shopping center and circled the lot. He sat at the entrance and just watched her. And then once she stopped, I think she hit a curb. I mean, her car stopped and the witnesses saw him come up to her and, and her window was down and reached in over her body and put her car in park and took something out of her car. They always say he took something out of her car, but her, she had one of those old phones from the nineties that my parents got her. It was called like a box phone or something. So they say, they're like, we can't tell you what was taken out of the car, but her purse and phone were gone. So if she had a purse, I don't know if she was carrying a credit card, I don't know, but the phone was gone. But he did all this in front of these people And then they tell us the cameras were down in the giant that night, so they couldn't get video from that, from where she was and where she ended up. But he was very slow, not in a hurry, just got the stuff and just slowly drove out of the parking lot, made a right on York Road and then a right on Walker Avenue, the next street. I mean, if it was a robbery, I don't understand why he wouldn't just have gone up to her window and said, give me your purse, why there would have been a conversation. Then she was shot. Then he followed her. Do you see what I'm saying? It's very odd.
0: Yeah, the whole part about him following her is just so evil. And then she's dying. Did she die on the scene there? Yeah. So he's like moving around her body and doing whatever he's doing. It's just evil.
2: Yes, yes very evil, very evil. It's, it's, it's the whole thing is bizarre. It's, it's, I mean, you know, you think it's a robbery, but then it's just, it's not a normal robbery. You know what I mean? And she's not the kind, you know, people say, oh, it was a drug deal. Maybe she stole drugs from him. I mean, that just wasn't her personality. You know what I mean? Like to, if she was buying drugs, if it was a drug thing, I just don't see her, the way she was so afraid of everything. Snatching drugs and trying to run away or something. I mean, you know, people have brought up that. That's just my opinion. I, I don't know. I mean, I just said I mean, she was so afraid. I mean, but like I said, everything was so odd that night from her just sitting there in that dark parking lot. Do you think that she knew this person? <sighs> if she didn't know it, I think she knew somebody that knew the person. Like somebody maybe sent... The person there, you know, she called the bar. She called another friend and talked to the friend's boyfriend in the parking lot, which was just a whole nother odd thing.
0: What do you think was going through her mind right then? Do you think that she just needed some sort of comfort or someone to talk to her? Why is she doing this stuff?
2: I don't know. I mean, what I think is, is maybe she was there to meet somebody or waiting for somebody because I... I think she would have been afraid to to be sitting there in that parking lot. I mean, there's just that that's why I think maybe she was, maybe she was planning on going to meet somebody. But and and if she and her boyfriend were in this fight, I just it's not. He didn't seem to me like this person where she would have been afraid to just kind of sneak in the house and sleep on the couch or something. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I, I mean, I was young then, but now that I've been in a relationship, do you know what I, like why or why not go sit in front of her house? Why just go to this dark parking lot? Like it's, it's, it just doesn't add up. That's what I think was she.
0: Right. Because, you know, she could have just sat and drank beer in front of the parking lot of her house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Instead yeah. of like down the street. Um, Do you think that the boyfriend had something to do with it? Have you ever suspected him or anyone from the bar?
2: No, I I, I don't suspect the boyfriend. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't look good on him because he was home sleeping that night. I mean, it doesn't. The whole situation doesn't. And then they had a fight.
0: What was her relationship like with this boyfriend? How long were they together?
2: So he was a lot older than her. And they had a major thing in common. And that was drinking. And, um, he was, he was a really nice guy. He was a teacher. He was, he was 14 years older than her and they, they lived together pretty quickly. Basically, they just drank a lot and, um, that wasn't good. I mean, they had, however you can have a relationship in that way. You know what I mean? She was waitressing for a while and taking classes. She was about to graduate Towson. And that's where she, they were right down the street from the school. How was she doing? What was her mindset, you know, before the murder? She was really afraid of everything. And and she was afraid to live in Baltimore. She, she used to say she was afraid she was going to get shot in Baltimore. And so, yeah, which is crazy. And, I mean, she was afraid of her closet. She was afraid of everything. So she lived in a lot of fear. And... um so the drinking, you know, and, and like I said, we had experimented with drugs in high school, but alcohol was mainly what we were addicted to. And she, like I said, she had tried in the last year or so, attempted to get help, but she just really struggled with it. It was just, it was awful. So, what theories do you have right now? Right now, I I'm trying to stay positive about the police, but I I the I get more frustrated with, I feel for some reason that they're are they don't want to solve our case. So what theory is something's not right. You know, my mother feels that way. My mother's almost 80. She's, she's very upset as I am. And she, she feels very strongly. I mean, she's very, she's not one to come out in the media and talk or, but she feels 100%. And I and I like I said, anybody that I've done interviews with, people just say something's not right. I guess you said, what are my theories? I, I guess it's it's my frustration with the police right now, knowing what I know and knowing that our case doesn't move forward. It just only leads me to believe what are you waiting for? What why are we why is this why is her case not solved?
0: You do face a battle with police. Talk to me about that. They don't like you talking about it
2: there's been the same detective on the case since day one and the behavior with him, just, just, you know, a little bit of disrespect and inappropriate behavior and um, contradictions and, and just, I really got as much as I could from him for the longest time about suspects, persons of interest. I mean, everything I could. And, and for, you know, he'd say, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then nothing was being done. And I just, I was getting so frustrated just seeing things. I started to see some people that they said they interviewed, that they hadn't, people that should have been interviewed. I mean, I met, I met a reporter from Baltimore, a cameraman from WBAL in Baltimore that was with one of my interviews. And he said he sat and talked to Jody in the bar that night for 15 minutes before she died before she was shot, you know, before she left.
0: What did they talk about?
2: I can't remember, honestly. Um, And I don't know that he could remember. They were just chatting at the bar. But it was a local place where Jody would go and felt comfortable. And it was media night where the media people would go once a week. I mean, it was a small Mount Washington Tavern. Everybody kind of knew everybody. She knew the bar. She was friendly with the bartender. I mean, she liked to go there. So the fact that he wasn't interviewed and it just was odd to me that they didn't find out who she was speaking with. I mean, whether he knew something or not, it just was so many, there's been so many examples of that. You know, there was a main suspect person of interest, you know, when I would asked the detective a couple years ago about speaking with him and his response is, I can't recall if I spoke to him, his name, you know, said his name. And I'm like, what? Yeah, I mean, there. I I could go on and on, and so it just got so maddening. And and they tell me her case is sitting in a closet. And this was years ago before my lawsuit to get the records. Her case should be solved. I mean, there's there's a lot of information, and I've done stuff. I've been communicating with a prisoner. I've gone to talk to people. I've done I've done a lot of things that aren't safe. Um, you know, I got to the point from being this anxious basket case to just this person that I just got so on this mission that I I, I just got fed up and I just was doing whatever I could. I mean, it's definitely it took a toll on me.
0: What um, what avenues have have been explored um, in the case in in the investigation over the years? And and where have they led?
2: Okay, so there's basically been kind of two person two three people of interest that they've kind of been focused on over the years. Have they all been thoroughly investigated? I don't believe so because i've two of them I've done a lot of looking into and and reaching out. I've gotten in touch with one of them and one of that one of the other one his ex-wife and i mean so i've reached out to family members so I've, i've found out things that haven't been investigated so why are they not moving forward you know so the one of the persons of interest is in prison and he's the one that i've been writing to and talking to and what is he in prison for trying to kill some trying to attempted murder for a female does he match the description?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. It was it similar circumstances?
2: No, this was one where there was drugs involved. They were doing drugs.
0: What's your interaction with him been like? How it is is he forthcoming? What's going on?
2: Says that he doesn't know her. Doesn't know Jody. Um, I I reached out to him just out of desperation because I was frustrated with the police because I had received a lot of information about him and decided that I was just gonna start, I said, bring me in there to talk to him. And um, they said, well, why would he wanna talk to you? And I was like, well, (laughs) F you <laughs> so I went out and started writing them you know um, and so I got responses and just it's a very bizarre communication I opened up a PO box um, I mean I know it's just not a good situation um, and my husband found out he was very upset and you know what are you doing you're putting us in danger um, reached out to some of his family members, went to try to find one of them. I've done a lot, yeah.
0: Do you think that he could be the suspect?
2: I think it's possible, Mm mm-hmm, I do, I do. How, I don't know, how they're connected.
0: What makes you believe that he's the suspect? Did he write something about the case that maybe people don't know, or?
2: from what I've been told, a lot that I've been
0: told. What's next? Uh, I know that you did the billboard campaign and it kind of reminded me of that movie that won um, all those awards. So is that what inspired you and and what's next for you?
2: Absolutely, that movie was a big inspiration and I was so, oh my gosh, inspired by Frances McDormand and, and her, her quote I love, the more you keep the case in the public eye, the better chances are you're getting it solved. And um, the billboards just, I think I've done eight, and they have just really brought her story to all over the world. I mean, I've done, I just did a French documentary. I mean, people like everywhere are fascinated by it. I want to do, I'm going to do another one in the fall. The problem is coming up with the money um, to do one. I want to do a plea to the killer. So I'm, I'm not sure how I'm going to do it, but it's something that I was thinking about doing
0: what is your message to her killer?
2: Come forward. I mean, I want to, I want to, I want to sit down with the killer and I don't know what I'd say, but I want to sit down with the killer or, you know, anybody that, that has any information or knows anything. I mean, I, I just, would beg and plead. I mean, this has literally put me through hell. I mean, literally hell, you know, myself, my family, everything we've gone through. I mean, it's, it's taken a major toll on my marriage. Um, just, just my whole involvement with, you know, just taking me away and, and, um, the, mentally, physically, you know, the depression, the just not wanting to live. I mean, there's, there's been a lot of, lot of days like that where I just, it's really hard. What drives you today? I don't know what drives me. What helps me is the people like you, people that help, you know, come out. I mean, definitely my family and my friends are very supportive. um, But having people share her story and and it gives me hope um i mean i've done a lot over the years and um that just kind of keeps me going
0: it's been a tough road so yeah i yeah. really do hope that you keep on
2: oh i'm
0: and i really uh, hope that that leads to exposure and answers
2: thank you yeah i'm never i've ge- never given up hope i just keep trying to get her story out there I mean I just keep going after people like please please share her story so I'm very grateful that you I mean it's awesome
0: Now is the part where we listen to the witness of the murder who reached out to me and he's sharing his story for the first time You haven't spoken to anybody yet right?
1: No, no, I spoke to the uh, two homicide detectives met us in Annapolis, Maryland, because we, we quit going, that, we changed our route.
0: Yeah, so walk me through um, what what were you doing at the time and then what did you first see?
1: Well, you know, we were there working, uh, delivering a Boston Markets chicken place that was right there on the corner of that shopping center, because that's what we did for Tyson Foods, me and my partner, we delivered product to them three times a week. And we had the store open. At, I, this happened between like two and four a.m. I'm not exactly sure the exact time, but it, it was it was in the early morning hours. And uh, and we were we had the back door open at this restaurant right on the corner, and across the street is where this happened. We're in the cooler, and we heard this big cannon go off. I mean, it's in the middle of the night. Nothing's happening, so we didn't know what had happened. We thought something exploded. So we go out and we start looking around, you know, and we see this car coming in the shopping center parking lot from across the street. And we know that's got something to do with it because there's nothing else at 3 a.m. in the morning. You know, it's it's Deadsville. Right. And, and we, um, we watched this car come in the parking lot. I immediately tell my partner to call 911 cuz i know that something has happened that's bad uh, this this restaurant when they when they close up at night guess what they locked down their phones and there was no cell phones back then by the way so oh. they might have they might have been some cell phones but we certainly didn't have one
0: so you see that you see the car pull in um, is that is that Jody's car or talk me through that
1: I watch this car, I go out to the back door, I see we, see, we go to the front lobby, and we look across the street and we see this car coming across the street, entering the shopping center that we're in, where, that where we're delivering this product. I go to the back door where our tractor and trailer's at, and I watch this car go up there and circle around and hit a parking stop and just stop. So we know something's up, right? We don't know what, we have no clue at that, at that point. So we go back in the restaurant, and all of a sudden, about three to five minutes later, we see another car coming in the parking lot.
0: Right. The suspect's car.
1: Yeah, the suspect's car. No shit. The suspect, the guy that shot this girl. No question about it whatsoever, but we're 200 yards away probably from where we're at at this restaurant, and where this car ended up up there in front of the Eagle, giant Eagle supermarket. This guy comes in, circles the parking lot, and we're down there watching, and we're trying to be, hey, listen, we don't want to be too uh, obvious here. We don't know what's going on. So we're, we're ducking down, and I, and my partner's still trying to call out, trying to get the cops there. He goes up, and he does what he does. He pulls up beside her car, uh, gets out, looks around, um, snowing, starting to snow, 3 o'clock in the morning, eerie, man, very eerie. Um, So he he reaches in, turns her headlights off, puts the car in park, takes something out of her car, don't know what, stands up and looks around, and and we're thinking, we got to go back in the restaurant and lock a door. Because if he sees us down there, you know, he's not going to want any witnesses, right? We were scared to death that this dude was going to see us because we were the only visible people around when that took place. So we go back in. And the restaurant faces the highway, the lobby. We watch as he leaves. We can't get a license plate number. I knew that was critical. I knew that was a critical thing, that if we could have got a plate number or something, but there was no way possible we could do that. Because if we draw, draw any attention to ourselves, you know, we'll to get shot or whatever. So we uh, watched him as he, he exited the parking lot and, and just casually drove away. That's, we waited three to five minutes. We go we, we go to the nearest station. We got to get in our tractor and trailer and go up the road to find the service station that's open. That would have been a wonderful thing if we'd have had our cell phones in or a way to call 911 immediately. But we had to wait till this dude left. Right. You know, we could, and we had to wait another three or five minutes because we don't know if he's coming back. You know, so we wait uh, until we think it's safe. We immediately close the restaurant up, get in our truck, and drive up up the road to the first the, the station that they talk about that was open and went in and said would you please call the police and send them down to the shopping center we turn around and go back down there and and they're coming the, the, they responded good they're coming before we could get down there they passed us it was like a mile up the road they pulled her out of her car the cop let me stand right there when they pulled her out and laid her on that parking lot.
0: That must have been horrible to see. Oh my God, what a beautiful girl. So then we know
1: what's happened. We see where the guy has shot her through the back glass and killed her. It, it, it entered her spine or whatever. She obviously was alive when she came into that parking lot because the maneuvers that that car did would not have done it by itself. She was still, she was still uh, navigating that car at that point because the car made a couple turns. I mean, it made some sharp turns to get where it ended up, and there's no way that that car would have done that by itself. They came out and talked to us three or four times in the next six months. They met us out on our route to homicide detectives and brought us all kinds of pictures and trying to nail down the car, because we knew what model it was, and we knew what color it was, and we knew basically what he looked like but that was about it
0: yeah what did the suspect look like do you remember
1: uh yeah stocky person uh had on a green olive you know like uh like military jacket uh and you know what that's a very generic description i mean that could describe 10 million people and it was so far away it was at least 200 yards away and it was in the middle of the night, and we're down there ducking around and trying to see what's going on and, and can't really get a good description. He gets out of the car, and he looks, he, he surveyed, he scans the whole area, right? Before he ever approaches her car, he looks around, right? I mean, he's looking around to see if anybody's around there. And we're down there at this restaurant with our truck running, our tractor trailer, and we're pretty obvious. But uh, we don't want to get noticed. You know, because we know that some kind of crime is being committed there.
0: What did police tell you when you were there? What were they speculating?
1: Well, they didn't have a clue. And, you know, I told them what we had seen and what I had seen. And I told them everything just like I'm telling you. And um, they told me they'd be in touch, you know. But they did hold us there for... And like I said, there was there was no open places around there, man. The places the, we opened up the restaurants with keys. We had keys and alarm codes. This is how we delivered all night long in the city uh, to put the product in because we couldn't do that in the daytime up there. So we did that all night long, and we we've been doing this for you know years, and we did it years after that. And there was nobody there across the street. There was no open. Even that giant eagle. Jennifer asked me, said, "Wasn't that a twenty four hour?" I said, "I don't know. It was not." There was no no activity, nobody there.
0: Yeah, and what was your thoughts on the investigation?
1: Well, well, I didn't see what they did a whole lot, my friend. You know what? They come out and talk to us like twice, some homicide detectives, and brought us a a generic folder of pictures for cars, which, (laughs) you know, you can get them uh, uh, anywhere in a magazine, and was trying to figure out if we could nail down a car, you know. And and, uh, I've seen in the documentary they have a white... BMW listed as uh, shown, and, and it could be something like that, but there's no d- definitive way to determine the model or the year or anything like that. When I heard her father was a, a DA in Baltimore, he was a district attorney or assistant, or he was prosecuting attorney or something, I just immediately thought that that probably was what that was over. That he done put away a bunch of uh, drug people or something and, and they come after his family,
0: and that's what that was just me thinking that. And that still could be. It seems like this is a case that has haunted you. I wish I could help Jennifer
1: to, 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 to do more, but I don't know if there's anything there that I could add. I
0: know it was really a sad thing. Police consider the case cold, but Jody's family not giving up hope and offering $100,000 cash reward for information leading to the arrest of the killer. The suspect described as a black man between 5'10 and 6'2", 200 and 220 pounds back then, 20 to 30 years old, with a stocky build and he was wearing a green army camouflage type jacket and driving a white car, possibly a BMW. Anyone with any information in the case being asked to call police or crime stoppers at 8667-LOCKUP. Now I'll post a video and pictures of the case on my website truecrimedeadline.com. Remember, after the episode, a shout out to those who wrote reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. But I also want to leave you with this thought. During our interview from season one, episode 12, Jenny and I were talking about the case and her sister, and she tells me that she still talks to her sister, especially when she feels like she hits a wall with information. Sometimes she even gets a sign. And then this happened.
2: Wait, a TV just popped on. That's weird. I didn't even touch it. I'm going to turn it off. Hold on one second.
0: Somebody Knows Something. Let's please share the episode and get more people talking about the case. Investigators, until next time. Thank you for investigating True Crime Deadline with Matt Johnson. For more information
1: about the podcast, visit TrueCrimeDeadline.com. And remember,
0: all tips regarding a case should go to the police. Until next time. Now, a post episode shout out to investigators who wrote reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. This one kind of takes us around the world. So, the first one comes from Canada, from Barb Blair. She writes Love the podcast, interesting cases. Matt has a super voice and delivery, perfect for binging, definitely worth a subscription. Thank you. The next one comes from Charlotte over the pond in London, who writes A new true crime favorite of mine, well told, serious journalism. Matt's fantastic. Thank you. I'm always in search of a new podcast. This one is well-produced. He chooses interesting subjects. It's factual, stimulating, and well-presented. Keep it up. Keep up the great job, Matt. Well, thanks. And finally, the third one comes from Down Under in Australia. I love Australia. Who writes, addictive. This is from Fuzzy Inc. 72. Very professional, great delivery, easy to listen to, well-researched and written. The only bad thing? having to wait for another episode. Well, we're still in season four, so make sure that you hit subscribe. Thank you for everyone writing reviews. It really helps independent podcasts like this one get noticed. And you might be mentioned in an upcoming episode. Investigators, thank you. And until next time.